Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. The Detroit Lions lost to the Green Bay Packers. The question is, in the process, did it really change anything that we think about Aaron Rodgers and what's going on in Green Bay? It's Greeny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus, and of course on your smart speakers. I'm Jason Fitz, hanging out with Joe Fortenbaugh for the next couple hours. We are in for Greeny as we try and figure out how to make sense of everything we saw last night. You can be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back, so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. So, Joe Fortenbaugh and I are going to break all of this down. But the real question is, is there anything to break down? I understand that we saw Aaron Rodgers in the offense be much better last night. I understand that we saw the Packers go out and absolutely throttle the Lions, especially in the second half. I understand that now it's easy to say the Packers are back and everything's okay. But isn't that just as overreactionary as what we did last week? Joe, when you beat a team like the Lions, yes, the Lions on Monday Night Football, is there really some dramatic takeaway that suddenly means you're a Super Bowl contender? Dramatic? No, absolutely not, Fitzy. I think what you want to take away if you're a Green Bay Packer fan is that this isn't as bad as it could have been. And what I mean by that is coming off what we saw in week one, there was a legitimate question to be asked as to whether or not there were really deep-rooted issues in that locker room. All right, getting beat up by a good football team, that can happen. So you can let that slide. But if you come out after something like that, after the offseason that the Green Bay Packers just went through, and you play a team like Detroit, a team within the division that you have stomped on for decades, and you look poor or you go out and just flat out lose that game, that's when the smoke signal is going to go up. That's when the alarms are going to go off. I look at last night and I see a good team emerging as the better team and finding a way to win the game. But let's be honest here. We have watched four halves of Green Bay football and only one of them has been impressive. They were awful from pillar to post in that game against the Saints. And last night at home on Monday night against the Lions, they were outgained by 70 yards and outscored by three points in the opening 30 minutes. So one good half of football does not a season make Jury's still out on whether or not this team's legitimately going to contend in the NFC this season. Well, let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And it comes from Aaron Rodgers. He was asked after the game uh, about, you know, sort of the amount of questions and the trolling and all of the things that have been said in the last week by the national media. This is what he had to say about that. Maybe the little button won't move. You know, I tried. I tried. I hit the little, oh, I got to use the mouse. See, we're in different studios. There we go. Work your way through it. I was going to ask the, the comment you made about trying to show you like you care a little bit more. Did it look, obviously you cared last week, but did it, you feel like it looked like you didn't last week? Is that kind of what you're implying? <laughs> I just think people like to say a lot of and it's nice to come back in here after a game like that. Did the national conversation your cue over the past week that it bother you obviously you were aware of what was being said about caring i'm aware of it because of of tom tom keeps me aware of these things i i think that there's even more now than when i started playing there's so many overreactions that happen on a week-to-week basis so it's nice to to come out and have a good performance and get the trolls off our back for at least a week I mean, Joe, you can't make a weekly appearance with Pat McAfee and be all over the place constantly (laughs) talking about things and then try and get me to buy that, you know, you aren't paying attention to it. Like, we all know better than that. Aaron Rodgers is at this point at least 
aware of the conversation that happens around Aaron Rodgers. And he can say it's nice to get the trolls off their backs. But realistically, in my mind, the Packers were sort of in a no-win situation here. If they lose to the Lions, absolute chaos going on everywhere. We'd be blowing up about, oh, my God, what are they doing? If they beat the Lions, I'm shrugging my shoulders and saying, well, who cares? They beat the Lions. But that's sort of where we are at this point. I mean, you if you're Green Bay, there are going to be massive expectations on your ability to do what you did last year, to win a lot of football games and be one of the best teams in the NFC. To your point, it's early on, and they it's only two games, but so far they don't look like one of the best teams in the NFC. And when you have a quarterback with the last name of Aaron Rodgers – that we all know is an all-timer, with that quarterback comes some level of expectation. I love Rodgers, man. I absolutely love him because he's interesting. He's fascinating. (laughs) He's worth watching, right? Like, he doesn't just pull off the miraculous on a week-to-week basis when we get to watch him on the field, but he's also highly entertaining off the field as well, giving us all this stuff to talk about. You go out, you spend the offseason creating all that drama, and essentially when it boils down to it and you ask, well, what is it that you really wanted? What is it that you got? It's, eh, I get to leave faster. I don't want to be here. So that's going to get the, the people going. That's going to get us talking. But then ultimately I ask myself, after the year we spent watching Jordan in the last dance and realizing some of these guys, I think, go out of their way to create some of this stuff because it drives them. This is what they thrive upon. Like Rodgers for years has been riding the coattails of the fact that Alex Smith went first and he fell all the way to the 20s in the draft. And I think that's motivated him. That's driven him. This guy to me feels, looks like he gets the most out of himself and he plays at his absolute best when everyone's trying to doubt him and when everyone's trying to say he either doesn't have it or something's wrong with his team. One bad game does not a season make, you could say. And he came out, and it seems to me like what really puts him to the next level, what really drives him, are the haters. No one was hating on him. There were no trolls. You created this drama in the offseason, and we talked about it. That's exactly what you want if you're a high-level celebrity like Aaron Rodgers. He's Joe Fortenbaum, Jason Fitz. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio, ESPN+. Plus. You guys can chime in on the Dr. Pepper call in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, ESPN, 888-729-3776. You know, you just sort of opened my eyes, Joe, and I've never thought of it this way, but you're right. Uh, we, I think everybody listening at some point has dated somebody that they realize is crazy. And <laughs> when you're dating somebody that you know is crazy, they, there are just certain people you've dated in your life that want drama, will stir up drama, will create drama because they just like living in drama. It thr- they thrive in that environment. And the, the hard part is that, you know, when, when you're with that person, and Packers fans are with Aaron Rodgers, you learn to love it. You're like, oh, you know, he keeps me on my toes, right? When you're no longer in that relationship, you look back and you think, man, he or she was just crazy. Like, it was, it was all drama. Like, there is an element of create the drama, live in the drama, respond to the drama. You're creating your own cycle that allows you to get the motivation that you may or may not need through all of it. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the Packers and the second half, particularly last night. We watched a Packers team that obviously woke up in the second half and they just took it to the Lions. And the Lions did not have an answer. They were not capable of clapping back at anything that happened towards them in that spot to oversimplify the Lions' lion while the Packers packered, right? So we saw all of that happen. But maybe you're right. Maybe there's just a little element of Aaron Rodgers through all of us that just uh, appreciates the chaos that he's partially responsible for creating. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. A lot to break down on that game, obviously. We will make sure we do that. But... 
coming up next, why we need to stop overreacting, and uh, we'll get you some thoughts on everything that happened week two and what we learned about it from week one. That's all coming up on Greeny. Joe Fortenbaugh, Jason Fitz, sitting in on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. I'm just saying, hear me out. Maybe in week two, we can learn from what happened after week one. And I don't mean from anything that we necessarily saw on the field. I mean, from the way we reacted to all of it. There were so many hot takes after week one that week two turned out to prove absolutely wrong that maybe now we could all press the pause button and just take a little time to let all of this absorb. Uh, Joe Fortenbaugh, Jason Fitz, we're in on Greeny on ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, the ESPN app, and your smart speakers. We'll get to all of that in a minute. But before we do that, we're going to bring in some football expertise, and it comes in the form of our good friend Jeff Saturday joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline. And Jeff, always appreciate your time, man. Uh, fun watching. You're just on every show right now, man. They're, 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 they're grinding you the last few days. We appreciate you carving out <laughs> a few minutes. So, you know, we were just talking about the Packers beating the Lions last night, and I, I think for me there's just this element of we sort of got what we expected. Aaron Rodgers played well and beat the Lions. I don't know that there's a massive takeaway. For you, when you watched last night, did it change your thoughts on anything that's happening for Green Bay overall? I, I like the patience they showed. You know, when, when you see the way that the Lions tried to defend them and forcing them into, um, you know, running the football and check downs because they were playing a lot of cover two, which just means that, you know, that's that's your answer, right, is, is you're not going to let Aaron, you know, beat you with big plays. And um, they, they stuck true to their plan, you know, as, as, the, as the second half, you know, started, they still, the Lions still had the lead. But Green Bay stayed true, man, and they, and they battled through. And then when the big plays were there to be had, they made them. Um, I think that's really hard to do from a high-powered offense, especially coming off, you know, just an abysmal play in week one against the Saints. So I had a lot of respect that they stayed kind of patient and true to what you have to do. Uh, to not get yourself in trouble, and I, and I think, listen, man, like I, I think the Green, I think the Packers are one of the best teams in the NFC, and you know people are questioning their defense and questioning this and that. Um, they have a young offensive line. Their defense, you got a new defensive coordinator, and new pieces and parts in a couple places. You know, Smith banged up. So, man, it's week two. You know, and, and, and to your point, you know, not every not every game is your best game. You know, and, and you play well enough, you win. You check it off the box and move forward. Um, so, so to that point, that's what I took away was just their discipline on offense. You know, so much of the focus, Jeff, has been on the offseason drama, Rodgers, his future, what all that holds. You mentioned that you still think they're one of the best in the NFC. They lose against New Orleans in week one. No big deal. It happens. And now they've got a trip to San Francisco for Sunday night football coming up this week. They could be one and two. They could be a team that really only had one good half of football against Detroit. But we've seen Rodgers in the past turn it on when he wants to turn it on. Where do you see them in the NFC hierarchy right now? Forget about the drama. The, the NFC West is loaded. Do you see them as top three, top five? Who's above them right no. now? Yeah, I think they're top five, and I would say this is going to be a big. Uh, this is you know, look, they got to play the NFC West this year, so you're going to see them against all the best. Um, so, so yeah, to your to your you know, kind of question, it's going to be answered how good they really are. Uh, I think this is is going to be, in my opinion, one of the best games uh, of the season. Like I, I like the matchup. I like what I like what San Fran can pose to the Packers, and it will show me a lot about where their offensive line truly is you know they played again they played a little bit better against Detroit than they did against the Saints uh San Fran's going to push you and test you right their front seven is legit now their corners are are are, uh probably the liability of that defense so can they stop the big plays but that means you got to give you got to give Aaron protection 
And even a couple times last night, I'm not going to lie, like they get edged a lot, right? And the pressure comes up the middle sometimes, and Aaron does not do great, you know, on, on that. And so when you're when you're looking at how you would break this down, it's going to be predicated, can the San Francisco 49ers front four get home, right? Can they get home and, and move Aaron off the spot? Because if he has time, he's, he's going to eat him up. And so it's, it's a really good matchup, and it'll show you a lot about both teams' strengths and weaknesses. We're talking to ESPN NFL analyst Jeff Saturday on the Goodyear hotline, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. It's Greeny, Joe Fortenball, Jason Fitz sitting in for Mike. Uh, so you mentioned that matchup, but I also think about the 49ers stance of it. Like after preseason, I thought we all thought there was going to be this two-headed dragon at the quarterback position and Trey Lance was going to get a bunch of run doing all sorts of creative different things. Do you see that happening more as the season evolves or is this just Jimmy G's team? I think it. I think it comes, you know, as the season evolves. But it is Jimmy G's team. I think both are true. Like, listen, man, Jimmy G took him to the Super Bowl two years ago. When he is healthy, I think they were like twenty-eight and six. And then when they're when he's not healthy, I think they were like six and twenty or something crazy like that. And and everybody's like, oh, it's the Shanahan offense. It's, hey, man, players got to play, right? Like, I mean, like I appreciate how good a scheme is. Um, but don't don't miss the point that when Jimmy G is in there and is available, uh, they have produced and, and, and been one of the top offenses in the league. And so um, I do think it's Jimmy G's team, and I think he'll continue to drive this team this season because if he plays well, they have a legitimate shot at, at the playoffs and potentially the Super Bowl, right? If the back end of their defense can improve and, and play well, um, th- this thing can really go. I, I, I like their offensive line. Uh, you know, I, I think if McGlinchey picks it up, so I like their team as a whole. I think Jimmy G is your guy. Like, this is similar to me as when uh, Mahomes and, and Smith w- w- with the Chiefs, the Chiefs team as a whole was so good, they were willing to kind of ride um, with a lesser talent. Now, we saw what Mahomes became. I don't think anybody, even Andy, didn't know how good it was going to be. Um, but but I think you wait on Lance to develop again. Was in a, it was in a was in a lower college program had a year basically off like there's a lot to overcome uh, so I think they're playing it right. One of San Francisco's Chiefs rivals, the Seattle Seahawks, blew a two touchdown lead to Tennessee, lost in overtime at home on Sunday. Head coach Pete Carroll was talking about the taunting rule. They've had two penalties this season: one from DK Metcalf in the opener, and one from cornerback DJ Reed that proved costly. In, in week two, your former player, what do you think of the new taunting rule? Because right now, universally, it's hard to find anyone outside of the New York Giants ownership that seems to appreciate and like this rule. Worst rule in sports, bro. Worst rule in sports. This is as ridiculous as it gets. I mean, um, you know, you set up rules for health and safety. You set up rules um, to keep, you know, to, to, to keep fans engaged in games and, and want to be a part. Like, we didn't have a bunch of fights and guys getting kicked out of the game and it was just unruly i mean like come on man get, you're like like you got to give me a break on this like football is hard enough as it is when you're successful celebrate it like it's hard work i mean it's hard freaking work to drive it down and get a touchdown it's hard work to pick up that fourth and short like it's hard work to do what we do it's hard work for those that those corners to cover these receivers with the rules the way they are now. If they knock one down or a play's overthrown it, let them celebrate. Like as long as it's not truly, you know, at a guy, and, and which I think there's very little in the game that is. If a guy gets up and looks at him and just screams, that's not taunting, man. Like we've all played this thing together and really battled and and, and played this game for a long time. 
Like they got to get over it. I mean, they're, they're they are affecting the game off of some nonsense that I'm just not appreciative of. I think we need to change the rule back. We're talking to ESPN NFL analyst Jeff Saturday. Stick there for a second because uh, part of the rule seems to presume to me that referees are incapable of reading the room, right? Like it presumes that a ref can't look right. at it and say, oh, this is too far. You've played so many years. You've interacted with so many refs. Could you trust an officiating crew to have their, their own discretion to figure out when it is or isn't taunting? Absolutely. Listen, listen man, I, you would have referees throughout games. Look at you and go, hey, Seth. Get your hand back inside, right? A hey, set, hey, settle it down, right? Like we're going to stop this chippiness. Next time, I'm going to throw, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw you, a, throw a flag on you, or you know, calm this thing down. Let's keep it within. They, they, they have always done a good job. You know when guys are already playing to the limit, and then you know when it goes over the limit. And 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 again, we have taken out, we have taken out their ability to judge when a situation is quote out of control or dangerous from our game. And look, I think they handled it great. I mean, even in even in Pittsburgh the other day, right? They had to throw a guy out, and you know whatever happened, I have no idea. But they know what to do. Like referees understand how to keep games in check. Um, and, and if it gets way out of control, then fines will be you know levied heavily. Like, there's a lot of ways to handle this. Penalizations in a game, and especially the quality of penalty, it's enormous, man. I mean, you talk about ten or fifteen yards or whatever these plays can cost teams. I mean, it changes the dynamics of games. And again, letting the referees do their job and understand when it is out of control and when it's within the rule, I mean, within its, the, the, the normal uh, kind of parameters that players play in. Because you got to play football at the edge, man. Like, this is, a, this is an emotional game. Like, I get emotional even today in a studio when I watch big hits and when I watch guys, you know, sat them down and get pancakes and knock dudes down. Like, Swagoo gets fired up when you see D-line. Like, you play the game intensely and you are hyped up don't take emotion out of the game like that that's why you start playing and and, and and for us to try to you know try to penalize people for doing it to me just as just as insanity which 2-0 and team are you more likely to buy into as a legitimate playoff contender this year the las vegas raiders or the carolina panthers the raiders oh, and, and look man oh, like uh, yeah i mean oh, careful when, when fits you, careful and i'm gonna say this as as well as Derek carr is playing and he is playing you know extremely well right now their defense man max crosby is he is unblockable right now i mean they their front four is getting i, I think they've in the two games with all the pressure they put on i've realized they're playing offensive lines that aren't set up to necessarily pass block right steelers Ravens, right? So they they get him in, in, in a disadvantage. Let me tell you something, man. When you only have to blitz twice and you're getting home, that 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 speaks volumes about how good that defense is getting up front. And, and, and I like what that that to me will be the deciding factor because we've seen them start fast. So I'm always cautious to jump on. I've been on the last two years and gotten embarrassed, so uh, a little little hesitant. But man, with with Bradley and what they're doing on that defensive side, it it, it looks it looks real, Jeff. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the meme of Kermit the Frog throwing his hands in the air and dancing around, but that's what I just did for the entirety of your answer. I'm going to be honest with you, my friend. Like, during the game, I started the game standing up, right? Like, because my dog took the seat on the couch and I didn't want to disrupt her. I started the game standing up, and it started so well. I never sat down because I felt like, you know, if I sat down, it would end the mojo. So, you know, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, on you, don't these... jinx it. you don't want to jinx it. Don't, don't jinx it. It's like you be... 
you stay strong in there. And you know, <laughs> I, I feel like I sacrifice. That's three hours of standing. Does anybody know how what that does to your legs? My God. All right, man. Uh, people right now are rolling their eyes so hard. I mean, I got to get one more in from, for, to get your thoughts on. For me, uh, it's the Titans and the fact that they looked abysmal week one and they looked so bad for a half uh, in Seattle. And then they just turned it out and turned it on. And Derrick Henry was untackleable. When you see a team like that turn it on for one half, how am I supposed to assess where the Titans are right now when I've had that little bit of good followed by so much bad? Yeah, I think when you look at how they finished that game against that defense, that's them. And I think that's what Vrabel was looking for. He was looking for that that spark and that response so he can really begin to, like, tie the team together, right? Like, like teams are forged at different points in the season – like that was a moment when, when you in the second half of that game and you just run all over them and you physically dominate them. By the way, Lawan was out of the game. Your left guard Saffold gets hurt, so your whole left side is basically new. And and, and here you go with your running back just trucking people. Like there, there's something to hang your hat on, and I think that's what Brabel was hoping for, and it turned out uh, to be better than I think he even anticipated. Jeff, you're the best, my friend. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Check them out across all of our NFL coverage all day, every day. They're working, man. ESPN NFL, Jeff, Saturday. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate you. Appreciate you, fellas. See ya. Uh, yeah. Fitz, as soon as he, as soon as he's, I thought he was going to say the Panthers, and as soon as he said the Raiders, I thought to myself, I never should have asked that question. Yeah, I mean, Fitz I, yeah. is gone now. Fitz's focus is gone. Yeah, all, all he said, Max Crosby, and I spent the whole time daydreaming about my man crush on Max Crosby. <laughs> I mean, that's just what happened. And you know, I'm going to start stretching out my hamstrings and my back and getting ready because obviously I'm going to have to stand on Sunday against Miami. Yes. I mean, I think we all understand. Like, let's not play everybody that's laughing at me right now. You know, you've done like I used to. Sit, and we'll get to actual football, Joe. But Joe Fortenbaugh, Jason Fitz on Greeny on ESPN Radio. We're in for Mike. And, you know, it's funny because I used to watch these games often on a tour bus, right? And I was always the person. You're never alone on a tour bus. There's always like 10, 11 guys around you, right? And none of them were really sports fans for the most part. So they were laughing at me anyway that I'm getting so worked up watching the Raiders game. And I'd sit <laughs> at one spot in the bus and uh, constantly I'd be like, I'm not superstitious at all. And then I'd move like, you know, there's snacks over here, like my diet root beers over here at the time. And I'd go grab it and I'd sit down there and then the Raiders would start playing poorly and I'd find like 52 justifications for why I needed to move back to the other seat because I don't want to admit that I think that it could be cursing the team. But if they're not playing as well, then it's got to be me. Like I, We've all done it, Joe. Any gambler on earth can agree with what you're saying right now. They can empathize. I got a quick story. So way back in the day, I used to smoke. Way back in the day, I'm at a bar, and uh, everyone I'm with, we had all bet on the Chargers. They were in Cleveland taking on the Browns. This was back when the Browns were awful. Not that hard to remember going back in time to that era. But anyway, uh, we were down big. We were down a couple scores. Everything was working against us. I went outside to have a heater, and while I was having the heater, I looked through the window, and this is December in Pennsylvania. There's snow on the ground. I see that the Chargers had like a pick six, and suddenly they've got all this momentum, and I realize no one's going to let me come back into this restaurant. And I tried to come back in, and everyone started screaming, no, get out. The second you left, they scored a touchdown. So I stood there in the cold, in the snow, staring through the window, watching this game, waiting for the momentum to turn back against my bet so I could come back inside like a lunatic. Anyone walking by would see that and just think to themselves, my God, 
What is wrong with you? Yeah, look, we've now inspired a, a whole new topic here. Uh, you can tweet <laughs> at Jason Fitz, at Joe Fortenbaugh. Tweet us on the Dr. Pepper Nation. Uh, I want to get some of these uh, tweets. And you can call 2-888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Give me your, like, weird game day ritual you've never admitted to anybody. Let's just have a moment together. Let, 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 embrace the fandom. That's a big part for me. Like, we do this uh, because of our fandom. So let's embrace all of the uh, the joy that comes with all of that. In the meantime, I'm trying to avoid overreactions. And I just want to make sure, uh, by the way, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. I, Attaboy. I, uh, look at that. Getting them bills paid. Uh, <laughs> now we'll get back to, to the, the football side of this. I, I'm trying to avoid what we did in week one for week two. And what I mean by that is I feel like we spent so much time hot taking week one that it, it feels like now we've seen the results of week two and we're doing the exact same damn thing. Like at some point, do we not learn from the mistakes of week one and say, okay, we overreacted. Let's just react this week. We as humans are not rational beings. And as a result, we <laughs> suffer from a variety of biases. We really do. One of which has become more and more prominent in recent years because people are learning about it, especially those who like to bet on sports. And with the rise of legalized sports betting in America, it's called recency bias. It's the bias where we put too much weight on the events that have happened more recently. And that's exactly what happens in the NFL when it comes to week one. You spend months waiting for the start of the season. You have these preconceived notions of how things are going to play out, and then they don't play out that way. A perfect example, and there were several in week one, but a perfect example is the Ravens losing to your Raiders on Monday night right here where I live in Las Vegas. And the second that game ends, everyone queuing up to bet Kansas City big the following week against Baltimore. And what ends up happening? Baltimore doesn't just cover that spread. Baltimore wins that game outright. Same thing happened with the Rams and the Colts. Similar anyway. Everyone thought the Rams were going to roll through the loser Colts. And yet the Colts covered the spread and made it close. Everyone thought Arizona was going to roll through Minnesota. Minnesota should have won that game. Missed an easy game-winning field goal. Everyone thought Seattle would run through Tennessee and the aforementioned uh, Chiefs would run through the Ravens. So now what do we learn from that? Well, we probably move into week two and then we overweight what we just saw. Or we move into week three and we overweight what we just saw in week two fits. And then we let the same thing happen again. Just be patient. The opportunity to strike occurs when you're thinking differently than everyone else. When everyone was thinking Kansas City Sunday night, we should have been thinking about Baltimore. So how long does it take for that to normalize in the betting world? I mean, because we know that we never really normalize in sports talk, but how long does it take to normalize in, in the gaming world? Well, it's always going to happen gaming with world. the public betters, right? Throughout the course of the season, there's always going to be more of a reaction to what happened the week before, but it affects the point spreads more in week one than any other time because we only have that one game sample. So there will be so much of an overreaction that there will be more of a move for the point spread. A perfect example of this is New Orleans was a one-and-a-half-point favorite at Carolina prior to blowing out Green Bay, and then after they blew them out, it moved all the way to three-and-a-half, through a key number of three, which is the most important number in sports betting. So that's a significant move. And then look at what happens in that game. There's an opportunity to bet a Carolina team that's been undervalued, and Carolina goes out not just wins. They pummel the Saints pillar to post, cover the spread, win by big numbers. So... We are going to overreact to what we saw the week before throughout the course of the entire year. But the only time it really has a massive effect on the gambling markets is week one. That's when you see a more consistent 
uh, move across the board for a lot of these teams. Joe Fortenball, Jason Fitz, in for Greeny on Greeny on ESPN Radio. Look like a million bucks with Dollar Shave Club. Upgrade to DSC six-blade razor for a noticeably smooth shave. Thanks to their six precision-cut stainless steel blades. Find your perfect shave wherever you shop, in-store and online at dollarshaveclub.com. That's dollarshaveclub.com. And, you know, Joe, I keep thinking about for the way I look at quarterbacks and this isn't necessarily the best sports radio way to look at things because we do like hot takes and everybody likes to react. I've often said that when you have a young quarterback, you have to look at things in a three year sequence. So it takes three years to know if you got your guy. I'm not going to look at anything Zach Wilson does this year as the great indication that he is or isn't capable of playing in, and even more so in week two. I mean, I went to one of our buddies, Chris Mitchell, that produces shows here, a massive Jets fan, works on Freddie and Fitzsimmons late at night and on Friday night after Spain and Fitz, which you should check out from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN <laughs> Radio. Uh, I went to, to Mitchell and I said, look, uh, you're going to get killed on Sunday as a Jets fan. And Zach Wilson's going to have the worst game you could possibly imagine. And it's okay. I mean, the Patriots do that to every rookie quarterback, 10 of the last 11. Plus, you've got a guy coming out of BYU. I think that we've undersold what a big transition it is. And he's facing a coaching mastermind. Like, expect the worst from Zach Wilson. And I'm stunned that more Jets fans didn't take that logic. I'm also stunned that people now are suddenly willing to just trade away Zach Wilson in their minds for a bag of smushed-up potato chips. Like, at the end of the day, you can't get an indication of if your young guys can play in one or two weeks. It takes three years. For me to even know if a team is going to be really good, there are indicators you can look for. There are things you can say, I feel good about this. But before we make sweeping generalizations about where a team is and the good or the bad— uh, Joe, I just think it takes more than two weeks to do that. Fitzy, you're absolutely right. And the perfect blueprint, the perfect example exists for us. And this is not just existing in terms of patience. It exists in terms of how to do it properly. And that's Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Mm. All right, they draft, draft him out of Wyoming. They Everyone knows it's going to be a project. Big arm, lots of talent, but he played at a smaller school, not against elite competition. It was going to take some time. So what happens? He's sloppy early. He's inaccurate. He throws a lot of interceptions. But wait. The head coach, Sean McDermott, the offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, they are there from day one and they are still there. Be consistent around your guy. Don't change his offensive coordinator every year. Hint, hint, the Los Angeles Chargers and Justin Herbert. Don't change the head coaches on him left and right. Give him a stable environment. And that's what the Bears should be thinking about with Justin Fields because they might fire their head coach. But give him a consistent environment and then put some weapons around him, i.e. Stephon Diggs. And look at what's happened. As you've worked his way up, as you've coached him, as you've been consistent around him, and as you've built around him and made the roster around him better, he has had an opportunity to grow, to learn, and to thrive. And that is exactly what he's doing in year four. He is thriving, Fitz. So speaking of the Bears, coming up next... Is it possible, with all of the talking heads screaming about what should happen for Justin Fields in Chicago, is it possible Matt Nagy actually knows what he's doing? We may have evidence to show you that, and we'll tell you about it next. It's Greeny, Joe Fortenbaugh, Jason Fitz. Greeny, the podcast. If he's your starter, just answer it. Because he's not your starter. And you know he's not going to be your starter. So now you say Justin Fields is going to take all first-team reps. We don't know. We haven't decided. We're going to see how the week goes and see where Andy's at. You can do that to us and then start him on Sunday. Everybody's fired up about Justin Fields, especially with the injury to Andy Dalton. Will he? Won't he? Should he? Those are the questions of the day. Joe Fortenbaugh, Jason Fitz. Joe, maybe, just maybe... 
Matt Nagy knows what he's doing. And I, I'm just saying, I watched the game. Uh, Sarah Spain, my co-host at night, is a massive Bears fan. So I was watching that game on, on a side TV while I was watching the Raiders on Sunday. And I, I watched Fields come in, and it felt like we got a, a huge indication of what Matt Nagy has said. We got a quarterback that makes these dynamic plays, but also a quarterback that at times looked a little lost on where to go with the ball, what he was trying to do, and then tried to use his athletic ability. Like we saw big ups, big downs. Maybe, just maybe, the team that sees him every day in practice realizes that he needs to have a little bit more understanding of everything they're trying to accomplish before he gets on the field full time. No doubt. No doubt. This fan base is the thirstiest fan base in all of professional sports when it comes to the marquee position and how bad they want to believe that they have their quarterback in the future because they have had so many swings and misses on the quarterback position in the past. Fitz, of 32 NFL franchises, Chicago is the only one that has never had a 4,000-yard passer. 4,000 yards doesn't even matter anymore. 4,000 yards isn't even like an essential benchmark anymore (laughs) to great quarterback play. Like we're talking 5,000 yards. And you might, you might get one this year. You probably won't because you'll play two of them. But you might get there this year because you got the 17th game. So this fan base, when this team makes the trade up to get Justin Fields, is going to want to see Justin Fields from week one. But it's not so much that they want to see Fields. It's that they want to see the future. It's not so much that they want to see fields. It's that they want to believe that they finally have found the guy who's going to lead them to the promised land, who's going to get them past Aaron Rodgers, who's going to put them in a position to challenge for Super Bowls because it's always been the thing holding Chicago back is the quarterback position. They've always been able to play D. They've never had the quarterback. But the thing is, I don't think fields is ready to play. We saw him in the preseason. He wasn't that great. All right, when he went up against backups from Miami, he put up some numbers. But for the most part, He didn't look all that great. And that's okay. He's young. He's learning. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you get an opportunity against Cincinnati, Cincinnati who just let Kirk Cousins throw all over them the week before, when you're at home and you step in, you go 6 of 13 for 60 yards with zero touchdowns and an interception, averaging 4.6 yards per pass, which is nothing, nothing in the NFL. Maybe, just maybe, it does turn out that you need some more time before you're ready to take this franchise to the next level. It's because drafting isn't easy, neither's hiring. Airlines, restaurants, and more have been ramping up their hiring. What do they turn to? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's technology finds qualified candidates for your job. You can easily invite your top choices to apply. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. Now, David Kaplan of Cap and J-Hood, the ESPN 1000 Chicago, was on with Keyshawn J. Will and Max this morning and really had an interesting point to make about Pace, Nagy, and the front office for Chicago when he said this. I don't believe his job is on the line. Now, That's why you can do this. turns into a Mark Tressman situation, where we lost Jeez. the locker room and it was just a train wreck, then that's a different story. But I've talked to guys in that room. They feel like they like playing for this dude. They feel like they have a really good culture up there. Yeah. They just got to get better and keep adding talent. So if that's the case, maybe George McCaskey has already told Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, guys, develop that kid. You're not going anywhere. Are you buying that, Fortinball? Well, I want to buy that because I want to believe that the Bears have it figured out. When it comes to building a franchise and more specifically building a winner, you have to be aligned organizationally. The owner has to go out and figure out who's going to be the general manager. The general manager has to figure out who's going to be the head coach. The GM and the head coach have to work together to find the quarterback. And when you do it that way, 
everybody's invested in everyone else's success. If the quarterback succeeds, the GM and the head coach succeed. If the head coach succeeds, the quarterback and the general manager succeed. And so on and so on down the list. The problem is when you're not aligned organizationally. For example, Ryan Pace is making the decision to bring in Mitchell Trubisky, but then they hire... Matt Nagy after the fact. So Nagy is now stuck with this quarterback and it might not be his guy, but because it's the GM's guy, you got to try to make it work. And now that's hurting your reputation, it's hurting your chances, it's hurting your standing as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. So then you go out and you throw a dart at the wall and you hope it's Justin Fields. You hope Fields can save your jobs. But what happens then if, he's, if, he, if he doesn't? What happens if you move on from Pace and Nagy? Now Fields is there and the next head coach is going to have to deal with them. It's well, a problem. you got to be aligned. And that problem's not going anywhere. Neither is the conversation about Aaron Rodgers. But did he create the conversation? Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Plus. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.